I'm Kurt Benkert, and this is Pocket Presence, powered by Sleeper. Welcome back to another episode of Pocket Presence, where we re-restart this recording for the second time. Thankfully, we weren't too deep into it, but producer Roddy saved us from an absolute false step, misstep. Would have been a long day for the boys, but we're here. I think we need to just dive right into it. Chiefs Super Bowl. I'm just going to call it as it is. The Chiefs had one of the most improbable runs in Super Bowl history, relative Super Bowl history. They had what? They beat the Ravens. They beat the Bills. They beat the Dolphins. Like They had a rough stretch to get to where they are, and then they had a Super Bowl against a juggernaut team, the Avengers, and they found a way to pull it off. And long story short, Mahomes played lights out in critical situations. Andy Reid called a really good game for a subpar receiving group to get open consistently. The defense played lights out and gave them plenty of opportunities to be where they needed to be. And the hidden piece that somehow gets forgotten in all of this is the Chiefs special teams. If the Chiefs special teams did not show up on Super Bowl Sunday, they wouldn't even have made it to overtime. But Kirk kicking, what, 250-plus yard field goals. They recovered a, a muff punt off of a heel bounce. Like, the Chiefs special teams was the difference maker in that Super Bowl win. And that's just kind of how it played out in my mind over this last month or so of football. Yeah, one of my least favorite things about the dialogue that happens after the Super Bowl is that we anoint the team that won rightfully as the greatest team ever. And then we look at the team that lost, made it to the Super Bowl, but lost and say, these guys suck. We just dissect them and pick them apart. And I see that being done this week with Brock Purdy and Kyle Shanahan. But my favorite take was the 49ers just kind of got unlucky. There were six fumbles by the Chiefs. Five of them happen to be recovered by the Chiefs. But if any one of those goes a different way in favor of the 49ers, I'm sure that we'd be sitting here and listening to the same conversations just on the other side, where it's like Patrick Mahomes can't get it done. Uh, Andy yeah. Reid, you know, they, they need to reload in the offseason. And it's just the 49ers are a great team. They're a juggernaut all year, and the Chiefs are just better. And Patrick Mahomes is inevitable. Yeah. And I think, like, look, the Chiefs, in my opinion, they have the best quarterback in the NFL right now. They are the most opportunistic team, especially in this playoffs that I think we've seen in a minute. Like, and when I say opportunistic, they don't like if they get a small window of opportunity, they take it. They don't miss their shots. So if you let them hang around, if you let them like, you know, snake their way through a game and somehow find themselves in the end, even though the rosters don't align and like you look at them on paper, like, how are they there? Well, Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid. And I'm, I also want to like knock this out now. Like people need to stop discrediting Andy Reid. Like he, he took, Donovan McNabb to multiple NFC championships. I believe those multiple. I know he like he just he couldn't win the big game because in my opinion he didn't have the big game quarterback. And now he does. And now he's won plenty of big games. And right now we're seeing this offensive minded masterclass whenever he gets his opportunity, especially in critical situations. It's not even about open field, open game. It's like when the moments are the biggest, Andy Reid and Mahomes together, they're lights out. And want to call it as it is. Pat Mahomes had a walk-in touchdown to McCall Hardman untouched. Mahomes didn't make him untouched, right? Like it's just people need to give Andy Reid his credit. And I know that a lot of it will be overshadowed by Mahomes, but Andy Reid, in my opinion, is one of the best coaches of all time and is slowly like taking that top spot for number one coach of all time, depending on how much longer he keeps playing or keeps coaching, how much longer can he keep doing this and like sustain the success. But they have a great combination for a good, like they have a good recipe for a long time going. And the scariest part is how much different this Super Bowl team looked as compared to Super Bowl teams in the past. I even think if you look at the Chiefs playoff run, you look at the Dolphins and the Ravens particularly, those teams seemed like they had one way to win. And when you mm -hmm. took that one way away from them, you schemed against it, 
the Dolphins had no shot and the Ravens looked pretty yeah. pedestrian against the Chiefs. But this Chiefs team being able to go from the high flying offense of the Tyreek Hill days to now being this defensive team that seems to drag you down in the mud and stay in yeah. games just long enough for Patrick Mahomes to make a miraculous play. Like it's so scary. They're, they don't need all these guys. They they have two guys yeah. that you mentioned, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, and that seems like it's going to be enough for them for decades. Dude, I'm, I'm going to say it right now, they literally have the Patriots recipe. They're already looking at Pat Mahomes to see, like, to restructure his contract, go bring in new talent, bring in guys that can help him compete. Like, what has been the typical, like, staple of the Patriots regime? Really, really good defense, a stud quarterback, pieces that fit for what they were trying to do, and a coach that didn't fuck it up. That's really it. Like, the coach, like, the offensive stuff, like, it, it was really like this don't F it up mentality, but like, take advantage of the critical moments in games. How many crazy throws did Tom Brady have to make in two-minute drills to, like, save the season? Like, not really many. They were just efficient. They marched down the field. They took advantage of the running backs. They hit wide-open guys. They were situationally football sound. Like, you look at the blunder at the end of the game with players on the 49ers not even knowing, the like, the overtime rules to the Chiefs being like, why did they just grab the ball? Why did they take the ball? You know what I mean? It's just, you know that so many boxes are checked with the Chiefs that they're not going to, like, blow it for themselves. And they're going to find a way to hang around. And I think that's like the recipe that the NFL needs to look at. Like, look, man, the Chiefs have shown that you can win with a lot of different formulas. Good defense, excellent offense. But the one like thing that stayed the same is their quarterback's generational and their coach always has his team prepared situationally. And if you have those two, you're probably going to be above average for a really long time. And I think a lot of people are arguing that this was the worst the Chiefs had looked in a really long time. Yeah. And I think this is the worst they'll probably gonna they're probably going to be in the next five to ten years, which is also a really scary thought. Yeah, no, the Chiefs are here, man. They're they're here to stay. And if they can keep that defense like unit mostly intact, they're gonna have to pay some guys. Like, don't like Sneed's gonna have to get paid. When you're winning and you're getting coaches poached to other teams, you're getting comp picks, you're getting extra picks in the draft. Like winning is a good thing in the draft process. Some people think tanking is how you get a really good draft pick or whatever, which for some teams that's what they need, but you win, you get coaches taken, you get comp picks. You get players taken, you get comp picks. Like, you can actually reload if you're proactive with this. And I think that's what the Chiefs are on top of right now. So it's they have a good formula. So one thing I want to ask you about Spagnola. There's been a there's been rhetoric recently that he hasn't been looked at for head coaching jobs, whereas a similar coordinator in a similarly successful position might have been poached by now. You know, what do you make yeah. of a guy who's a little older? He's already had a stint as a head coach with the Rams that didn't go well. And now he just seems to be happy to be the defensive coordinator for the Chiefs, which is not a bad gig at all. Do those kind of yeah. guys exist in the NFL where they're like, you know what? I, I recognize I got a good thing going here and I'm just going to stick around and be a coordinator. Yeah, I love that. And I think not enough people recognize that. Like he's a really good play caller. He's a really good like leader of that group and that unit. And it's also tough, in my opinion, to be a defensive head coach. Like it's it's just a different dynamic. You're not on the same wavelength with the quarterback most of the time. And even when you try to be like, it's it's just a lot of responsibility where I think it's already so hard to call a defense in the league, add on the responsibility of everything else. It, only a few guys can do it really successfully before they're cycled out for an offensive-minded young guy. You know what I mean? So I think for him, you just won two Super Bowls back-to-back. Like this year specifically, that defense, insane. And they have a, like a really good formula, a good shell that they play under. I don't know. I just think it's... It's a, he knows exactly what he's getting himself into, where if you go into the world of trying to become a head coach again, there's so many unknowns and uncontrollables that like I wouldn't want to leave something that's that good unless the monetary difference was just like astronomical. 
Um, and obviously he loves his job if he's willing to resign for a longer term. I'm sure, I'm sure the difference isn't that crazy. Obviously we don't know publicly NFL coaching salaries, but yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure the, uh, the chiefs want to keep him around just as much as it seems like he wants to stick around and they're yeah. probably willing to, to shell out to, to have that happen. Yeah, I think so. I, I want to ask, I've had this thought now since the chiefs have won their second in a row, it seems almost more likely to me that they're going to three Pete than it was that they would two Pete. I mean, like, again, I come back to this year, Everybody had written the Chiefs off, especially after that Raiders game where they didn't even score a touchdown. And now yeah. they're looking at the first te- being able to be the first team to ever three-peat. And if this is as bad as they're going to get this year, I can only imagine how much better they're going to be next year after after winning it, you know, winning it in 2024. Like for their season next year, they're going to be better, like across the board, in my opinion, as far as the roster goes. It's going to be one of those things of like, how healthy can they stay? And like, what is the the randomness of an NFL season throw at them next year? Because every season is so different. So like preseason favorites on paper, like, yeah, like they should be. Do you run into like a jet situation where like, not saying Mahomes will get hurt, but like your starter quarterback gets hurt or like a key piece gets hurt. And then it like definitely changes the trajectory. Like what if Chris Jones didn't play? Like there's just a lot of things that in my opinion, on paper going into the season, like they should be really good. But then you always have the randomness of the NFL that comes and humbles a team really quickly. Um, and then they find out what is their new identity and how can they win games that way. So um, I'm very like uh, reserved on jumping the gun on like crowning a team anything before we've seen like the first five to six weeks of football. But yeah, I mean, on paper, it's looking good for the Chiefs. It's looking real good. And it almost feels like we could already talk ourselves into falling into the same trap as we did this year, where we're writing them off in the middle of the year because they haven't figured things out. But come Christmas and Thanksgiving, they start to hum a little bit. And all of a sudden we're looking up and we're like, oh, we counted them out, but here they are once again. (laughs) It's it's like the reverse Cowboys effect. Like we're always thinking (laughs) Cowboys, like this is their year and shit ain't changed. Like, I don't know. That's, that's how I kind of look at the the Chiefs, but on the flip side of that coin. I I completely agree. Okay. I want to ask you, this is, the hot topic here, the Brady Mahomes comparison by all objectifiable metrics. Mahomes is ahead of pace to Tom Brady before he's 30 years old. Of course, there's a lot of career left to go, but how do you make sense of this conversation around Mahomes trajectory to possibly be better than Tom Brady? Is it a conversation even worth having? Um, My opinion is that he already is like his, what he brings to the table was way more than Brady did. And that like just physically and what made Brady so great was like, his accuracy, decision-making, situational football, all that. But like Brady wasn't going to win without dudes. And I think, yes, Brady did help some of these young guys. Like when Edelman was young, his career, when Amendola was young, like he did help create some of these guys and like help, I guess, transform who they were going to be in the NFL. In today's football, the ability to create outside of the pocket, like if you don't have that, I don't even think that you can be like described in that same category. I just like, I get it. Brady won what, six Super Bowls? Was it six or seven? I mean, who even knows? Seven Super Bowl. I, he won his seventh with the Buccaneers. And and like, look, dude, he went to a freaking stacked ass Bucks team in a weak division. Like, and as soon as it was a bad year, he was out. You know what I mean? Like, it's he went to the perfect. That's the only situation he would have left them for. Like that, or like the 49ers that were already right there. So I look at that Bucks Super Bowl as like, I mean, you can see guys like LeBron do it, right? Like LeBron will go to a team that he only thinks he has a chance with. Um, but I just, I'm looking at Mahomes like, if you put them side by side and like you look at the numbers and the stats and the wins and stuff, like, I don't know, Brady always had a top five defense, like always. And I'm looking at Mahomes and I'm like, dude, Mahomes has done it in a few different ways. And also just you watch how they play the game. 
it's a lot different. And if you didn't know that Brady had won seven Super Bowls when you watch him, you'd think, damn, that's a really good quarterback. Like, but you look at Mahomes, you're like, holy shit, like he's him. So I don't know, let's just like use our eyes and stop like I don't know. I, I hate these comparisons and I'm like, how old is Mahomes? 20, 28, 28. I mean, same he's literally the same age as me. Like Mahomes is 28. Brady was 44 by the time he won his seventh Super Bowl. Dude's got 17 years left to go to catch up to that point. 44, 45. I don't even know what it was. 16, 17 years. I'm like, dude, Mahomes is all right. And I don't even think they need to be compared because Mahomes is clearly the better quarterback, like the entire package of it. Brady was just the most winning of all time. Yeah, it's it's almost a silly conversation to have. You're right, because I think anybody objectively could see Mahomes talent-wise is better. And all that we have left to prove out is how many Super Bowls is he going to get to? And we can only take it one year at a time anyway. So yeah. it's kind of a silly argument to have in the moment. Yeah, what Mahomes can do, like, and he's even talked about it. Like when Mahomes got in the league, he said he couldn't read a defense. Like he didn't know like coverage, like he didn't know that stuff. And Alex Smith helped like expedite that. The coaches helped expedite that because in that system in the air raid and at Texas tech, they didn't, it was all like spatial awareness and like key defenders. Everyone was a key defender on a certain read, like which in NFL terminology, like basically the way that they did it in that system was, okay, if we have like a hook and a like deep crosser over top of it, our key defender is the linebacker over top the hook or over top the hitch route. And in the NFL, we would say that if the tight ends left, then our like weak side linebacker is our key defender. So it's just like the terminology was different. You're playing the same game, just you're calling it different things and you're looking at it a different way. Like he had a lot of learning to do and catching up to do to be able to speak the NFL language, to be able to like replicate it on the field, read it the right way that they want him to in that system. And he got a year to learn it and then he took off. So um, yeah, it's just like the nuances of the game run very deep, obviously. Yeah. And it's scary how much better he can be. And it makes you think, why would anybody ever bet against him? I know you, Kurt, you bet against him. I did. I bet against him. You had the 49ers. I I didn't listen to you. You were in Vegas all week trying to convince me to take the 49ers. And I, it was just too juicy to have Mahomes as a, as a two point underdog. It was just, it was too enticing. I think like looking back at it, in, like I wouldn't have bet on the Chiefs. I just wouldn't have bet on the game because I still like, like I st- again, like a blocked extra point, like a random ass blocked extra point made it so that they could get a field goal to send it to overtime. It's just like the spe- I didn't expect the special teams to be the reason why the 49ers lost the game. Because at, at the end of the day, what are the chances of hitting like a 56 and a 57-yard field goal, recovering a muff punt, and blocking an extra point all in one game? I don't know if that's ever happened before in a game. We'll have to fact check that. But <laughs> the stars aligned, right? The stars aligned for them to go down and win it at the very, very, very end in overtime. I completely so, agree. Did you place any props on this game? I don't know if you're big. If you're like uh, I did. How about the one that I was most confident in was Brock Purdy over 12 and a half rushing yards. He had hmm. 13 and then he kneeled at the end of the game. It's like one of the worst beats that I can I'm remember. Like, like, bro, you had 13 the whole game and then fourth quarter kneel to take it to overtime took you to 12. I'm like, all right. It was just one of those nights. It's one of those nights. <laughs> so one thing that I was keeping an eye on the the Gatorade prop is always one of these these most popular, and everybody always tries to like scheme a way in. I'll shout out Jack Sutherland. He was out with uh, Bleach Report betting, trying to ask questions at, at media of you know players' favorite Gatorade colors. And I'm not entirely sure. I don't know if you have any insight on this, Kurt. How the Gatorade flavor is even decided on? I can't imagine it's a team vote. In majority rules, it's probably just whatever they have on hand. I'm pretty sure each team like has its typical flavor. Like, okay, how's that decided I mean, though? 
probably long before anybody got there. Like it pro- <laughs> it's probably like a thing that just happened and then it just never changed. You know what I mean? Like unless you got some star player that's like, nah, dude, we're switching this shit up. But I'm like, I don't know. I like, I don't really remember the flavors switching often. It was some, that the like, same. I, yeah. Did, did it matter like a home game where you getting your flavor and then an away game? You, oh yeah. Always a different flavor. No, you're always getting your own stuff. Like the, the oh. that's the cool part about the NFL. Like the equipment staff, like strength staff, nutri- everybody, like they travel, like the full caravan goes and those buses or the, the big, uh, track the trailers, like they leave way before the team leaves and they drive there wherever it is. So it, they make it as much like it's a home game within the like parameters of what the process looks like as possible when you're on the road. Interesting. So they might actually ban the prop betting of the Gatorade color. And this all happened really quickly this weekend. And I was not following it in the moment, but it's all come out afterwards. And it's actually pretty interesting. So basically what happened was the betting line was pretty even across all colors for what the winning coach was going to get dumped on, what what color Gatorade the winning coach was going to get dumped with. And all, all weekend leading up to it, up until Thursday, the odds for purple, which ended up being the winning color, were about you know, plus 275, right in line with everything else. About 1% of the money had been placed on purple. And then on Saturday, it jumps up to minus 130. So it's the prohibitive favorite to be dumped. And that's a pretty big jump, especially in that's this- That's a hell of a jump. Speculative, like th- there's, no, there's no new information that would come out about this unless somebody has insider information. So what a lot of people think happened, because the jump goes from 1% money to anywhere from 18 to on Fanatic, 60% of the money was on purple. So there was- a huge exposure for the books to have, you know, lose money on the Gatorade, yeah. on the Gatorade prop bet. So there's a tweet by an account on Twitter called a guy uh, by a guy named Daily Hitman. And he had posted a screenshot of a DM that he got. And it currently has about 600,000 views. And they claim to be the insider that has connections to the Gatorade supplier for the Super Bowl. So maybe one of these guys that you're talking about where it's a guy that knows a guy who knows the equipment manager. And so he's yeah. in line with what the color might be. And he said that purple was going to be free coin. He posted out on Saturday, the markets jump up. Purple's the favorite. Now these it's interesting. These props are banned in most states. Only six states plus Washington, DC allow you to actually bet on silly props like this, like uh, you know, national anthem over under or Gatorade color. And so this people are thinking this might be the thing that leads all these sort of fun props to getting banned because when you think about it, that could be gamed pretty easily, right? And I think there's probably limits on how much you can bet on a on a prop like the Gatorade color. But as you describe it, these are just regular people that aren't getting paid a lot anyway. So what's the incentive for a guy that just does equipment who's maybe making yep. 50 grand a year to go to his friends and say, hey, you should maybe put 10 grand on this Gatorade color because I know exactly what it's yeah. going to be. I mean, I'm all I'm saying is like, it's the like that is when I when I like I when I realized that that was a bet and it was such a big deal. Like this is my first year like in this rodeo. I'm like, you could zoom down in like from the stands and see what what like the cups are that are out on the Gatorade stand. Like you can do that pregame as early as like 90 minutes before kickoff. And I'm just like, I don't know, that that's the type of stuff that's so easily influenced. And I'm like, you got to be if you isn't it like illegal to place bets with insider information i mean i don't know i mean politicians do it all the time with stocks but i'm like there's a i don't know i don't like i I bet it depends it seems stupid yeah i bet you and i would never get caught for it maybe you're you're a bad example but i don't think i would ever get caught for it because (laughs) i like i'm just probably going based on and i don't even think this tweet would even classify it as 
insider information. This guy's getting a yeah. random DM from a guy that says he knows a guy that knows a guy. That's you know, that's hardly yeah. degrees of uh, you know like degrees of connection, yeah. similar degrees of connection. But for you, maybe as a player, a former player, maybe. But I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's one of the that's one of those things that it's there's no way it's going to be around for a while because it's so easily manipulated manipulated by the public. I mean, I'm even I even look at some of the coin flips sometimes, and I'm like, some people like flip the coin and it drops on the ground. Some people flip it, catch it and like flip it. And so like, it's just, oh, it's all just a little weird to me. Something's not it, adding up. It also makes you think these, these, these are always the bets that get talked about the most. And so it's yeah. probably a really great marketing tool for a lot of these sports books. So I can't imagine that they, even though the lines might be able to be gamed pretty easily, I can't imagine yeah. that they, they want to switch them. Yeah. I, th I think the other thing is like, there's so much awareness of the lines. Like you even look at like, I read something. I think Reba, her national anthem, like hit the over for the first time in like four years. Like, I'm sorry if you are even remotely aware of anything, right? Like in that space or even on social media at all, Reba has to know that that line exists and that there's a bet out on her over under that she has the direct like opportunity to change the outcome of what that is. You know what I mean? It's just like, I agree. And how would and how would that ever get caught? Like unless your last yeah. name is the same as Reba's last name. If yeah. you're just a friend of hers and she just gives you a wink and she's like, you know what, I'm gonna hit a second brave. Cause that's what happened. She said brave yeah. again and it went over. There's no way that's getting caught. And there's probably again, there's caps on how much you can put on these props, but yeah, ten grand to twenty grand, I mean, that's not an insignificant amount of money, and you're probably not getting looked into anyway. Dude, so they're definitely like, people gaming the system. If I put ten grand on Reba to hit the under like thinking it's free cash because she's never hit the over and she hits the double up on brave whether it's a stutter a re-grab of your breath like whatever it was as soon as i heard that second brave if that was me my heart would have sunk mm. like you can't do that like you can't say brave <laughs> twice yeah what are the rules oh, anyway man. like when does it stop you know like if she yeah if she says brave three times that's not the song the song only says yeah one yeah you gotta do you trim the second brave out i don't know, I don't know that's wild either. But yeah, I, there's probably a reason that it's only legal legal in three states. Uh, another interesting yeah. Vegas stat for you. So 72% of the money was on the Chiefs plus two. We talked about it. It was one of the reasons that yeah. I felt like I didn't want to take the Chiefs because whenever you have such a public favorite, it's usually the amount of tickets, meaning the public is favoring one side, but the amount of money, yeah. the, pub, uh, the professional bettors are backing the other side. And so what do you want to do with the yeah. public or the professionals? But I took them anyways. It, it was interesting. So Vegas... All the Vegas sports books had they had a record breaking Super Bowl, so 185.6 million dollars wagered on the Super Bowl, but they actually only won or they only took home 6.7 million dollars or three a little over three percent of the money. A lot because of money and float, big dog. <laughs> the public was so so heavily invested in the Chiefs that when you have such a public favorite and they win like that, Vegas doesn't make out great. And of course, 6.8 yeah. million dollars is still pretty good. But do you want to guess the? Super Bowl, and I think I mentioned this to you when we were in Vegas, but there's a Super Bowl where Vegas won the biggest. They won 16.5% of all bets. And it was the year where I think the public was most heavy on one team, and then the other team ended up winning. And I want to see if you can guess it. Yeah, this is probably undefeated Patriots versus the Giants. That's a really good guess. That wasn't it. It was actually the Seahawks beating the Broncos in that 43-8 to oh. eight absolute blowout. The, the public yeah. loved the Broncos. And that was, I think, in a similar kind of year when Peyton Manning was humming. And that might have been his, like, 50 touchdown year or yeah. whatever ridiculous year. Kind of wild. And yeah. The public comes in heavy on the Broncos. Vegas cleans up because in that moment, the public did not know. Let's, what hey, let's be honest. Vegas is always going to clean up. Vegas <laughs> I mean, can't like, lose. 
even so they've only lost money twice on the Super Bowl and it doesn't happen often. And even when they lose money, yeah. it's in the magnitude of a couple hundred thousand dollars. So the fact yeah. that they still made $6.8 million and that's considered a bad weekend for Vegas is Vegas always wins. Yeah. Vegas is in the right industry. <laughs> they, they are in the, in the right industry. Before we get into anything else, Tyler, we have an important announcement to, to make. We have our very first official sponsored episode by none other than Manscaped. I don't know if you can tell. Well, you can't because I did some grooming. Not up top, down yonder. This is a little personal, but it's my first time ever using like the rolling blade. Like the, I don't know, what is it? Is it called a roller? Uh, a roller, a smooth shaver, maybe? The actual lawnmower, like the old school. Like I used it and I was thoroughly impressed. For the first time in my super south grooming adventures, not a single nick, not one. So. All, I'll, all I want to say about that, Tyler, is that I'm super thankful for Manscaped for sponsoring this episode. I will also say that if you go to manscaped.com and use code pocketpresence at checkout, you can get 20% off your order and be just as clean as we are with a flashlight. You don't even need lights on. You'll be able to see everything, every last particle. You'll see it all. And I think the best part about this is that whether you're grooming for, you know, Valentine's Day, which just passed, or you're just keeping up with your face, or if you're working on your mullet and you want to shave the sides, there are all different options for you. So shout out to Manscaped for sponsoring this episode. Tyler, what is your first experience with Manscaped been? Usually I'm terrified when I'm shaving down there with Manscaped, stress-free, waterproof, can all be done in the shower. So the cleanliness factor is, is, is unmatched. So no cleanup, no mess, no worry. And you do not want to be worried when you're grooming down there. That's true. Definitely don't want to worry. And we don't have a worry with Manscaped. So thank you for sending us these beautiful lawnmowers. And I hope to see everybody that's listening lawnmowering too. Now that was not bad for our first ad read, Tyler. That was, was not stressful. bad. It was stressful. I mean, when you, you have all these people watching Kurt, you know, we got to use you have all these people carefully. watching. People are ready to come from my neck anyways. So I might as well fend them off with a lawnmower, but <laughs> We have we have off season topics to get to, Tyler. Yeah, I mean, we jumped head first in the off season. You, Kurt, jumped head first in the off season with uh, I couldn't wait a little, a little splash on, on Twitter. Wait. We already did a we already we already looked at some some Jaden Daniels highlights. We, we highlights looked at what his ceiling could be. That's an important. Yep. If you go, if you're gonna walk through that distinction, I'm, I'm happy to give you the give you the we floor. But to. maybe give us your breakdown on, on what you saw from from Jaden and what you were looking at when you were looking at his highlight cut up. Yeah. So let's just start here. I watch a f shit ton of football. I watch so much football. My eyes can bleed sometimes from how much football I've watched. I've watched a lot of football in my life. I've watched more football in my life, an actual film, not just highlights and film. than most people have ever binged any show ever in their Netflix history, their Hulu history, any of it. Like I, I have watched a lot of football. So I watched a lot of football on Saturdays this year. All these games. I watched a lot of Jaden Daniels, especially late in the year. I watched Caleb Williams. I like Pac-12 after dark. What can I say? I watched a lot of ball. And so all year, I'm like, I know that this day is coming where I'm going to have to start referencing back to these players. And so I dive in. I went through my top 10 quarterbacks, which I don't have a list just yet. Still figuring out who I like where because Lord knows they're coming for me when I list that and I put it out there. But so I watched all their film. I watched all 22 film that is available on YouTube as well as highlights. And I went back, tried to gather. And the main way that I look at quarterbacks is, look, what is their ceiling? 
Like, what is who is this physical specimen as a thrower in his little box of him as a thrower? Take everything out of it. What can he do? What's his what's his ceiling? What's his upside? Can he generate force without big hitches? Can he scramble? Is he creative? Is he in rhythm? Like, does he good feet? Does he not have good feet? And if he doesn't, like, do I think that he's going to be coachable to get to the NFL and fix his feet? Like most of the time, yeah, that's the that's the answer. They will fix their feet. So I try to watch quarterbacks with under the context of I don't know what they're being asked to do in college. I don't know what scheme they're in. I don't know what players they have around them. All I know is if I put this guy in a vacuum, this is what I think of him as a player. And I go from there. That's where I start. So I think more NFL teams, especially the ones that I've been around and the scouts that I've talked to, the national analysts that I've talked to, they look at it very similar. Scheme fit, where guys end up, all this shit matters when they get drafted. And there's guys that got drafted last year that are deemed busts already that just are in bad situations. So like, all, all of this has to be taken into context when you open up Twitter and you scroll and you see that I'm watching someone's highlights from YouTube and I'm just talking about their arm talent, their ability to generate force from the hips down without having to step big hitches into throws, their elusiveness, their quick twitch ability. Do they have a quick release, slow release, like all these things. So I've, I don't say things without having done all the work, but when I present them, I present them to the casual fan because there's a lot more casual fans out there than there are super nerds. So all of that to say, that's how I like to evaluate quarterbacks. And if you like that kind of evaluation, I got more coming. And if you don't like that evaluation, just keep walking. Go find the all 22. That's a 60 minute dive on five plays of this guy's scheme that you don't know shit about. No lie. I just got done watching a Bo Nix all 22 of someone else that cut it up. This dude that like literally doesn't know fucking any football at all. Nothing. And he's sitting there and he's like, well, I'm looking at Bo Nix and I just, I think he takes the check down too much. It's third and six here and he's going to throw it right to the running back right now. He takes his quick drop. He looks right. And then he goes left right to the running back. Like, yeah, it worked out. But like, I want to see him stretch the field. And I'm like, you dumb shit. It's a fucking design screen. That play that you were just talking over is a literal design screen. You had receivers running downfield five yards, not engaging in contact until they looked over their shoulder and saw the running back catch the ball. Then they're blocking downfield. Like these guys that get access to this all 22 film and think that they know football and they think that like they know what these players are being asked to do and then make proclamations about them. It's my biggest problem with the like social media industry with like scouting players, drafting players. And that's why I don't even dive into it. I just keep it at a surface level. What's this guy capable of? Like, that's it. What is he capable of? Then I go from there. So I love Jaden Daniels. I'm starting to love Bo Nix as like a higher uh, floor guy. Like, I think he's like a safer pick. He's played five years of football. That's a lot of football. Like that is mm -hmm. a shit ton. I think Caleb Williams has a massive ceiling, but he also could get pretty dangerous if you put him in the wrong situation. So like, that's how I look at all these guys. And I know I just went on a little bit of a pedestal, like, but there's no, like nothing pisses me off more than people discrediting the amount of shit that I do and the amount of film and watching of stuff that I do when I decided to present it to present it in a way that's for the casual fan. So let me step off my soapbox now. I think there's a lot of gatekeeping that happens in the NFL film community. And it's a it's a robust community. And there's a lot of people that I watch that I appreciate and I appreciate their breakdown and I I can tell they put a lot of time into into what they're doing. And you do get the sense that they talk at a certain level where they're kind of talking to each other more than they're yeah. talking to a general fan. And I think you come at it with a, a different perspective. Like it seems like a lot of the the backlash you've gotten, at least on this Jaden Daniels thing, was like basically 
that's not how somebody that I've already watched how they do it. And you're doing it yeah. differently than that. And therefore it is bad. And I think it's just a different perspective. And I think it's one that should be appreciated more given your background, but if people don't want to appreciate it, like you said, they can keep on walking. Yeah. And I think that's like, and the crazy thing is, is the people that do appreciate it, there's way more that appreciate it that don't, but totally. like, you're always going to have the haters that are louder than the people that do appreciate it. Like I've had so many DMS and messages of people who are like, oh, I love, like, I love this. Please don't stop doing this because I actually understand what you're saying because you're bringing it down to my level, but like, they're not going to comment that, you know what I mean? So that's a lot of like what we're kind of going through right now on Twitter and whatnot. But for me, <laughs> um, Nobody had anything to say when I was using YouTube highlights of players' performances in games to break down their film. But now that it's talking about players that they need for their franchise to be successful or they like have so much hope tied up into, um, they don't want to hear it in that perspective because it's not laid out in like the silver platter. I'm just giving them a paper plate and saying, this is the steak, this is the potato. Like, they want it all done for them. And I'm just going to say it. I wouldn't be able to knock out nearly as many quarterback breakdowns if I went and did the five hours that it takes to add a cut up on all 22, sort through every single game of every best play of every player and make it that way. Like I could, I will give you like two a month maybe, but I'm able to put out three, you know, two, three, four weeks sometimes because that's the way I'm choosing to do it. And I also, I don't know, man, there's just, I don't want to pretend like I know everything either. I don't want to go into all 22 and pick out, like, ah, oh, he didn't like, I don't know if a guy doesn't rip a throw in an inbreaker because is his depth on the, on the route that's called supposed to be two steps further. So he's not in the right window at the right time. I don't know any of that. So I'm not going to fucking pretend to know it. And I think that's what you get. Like every single all 22 breakdown that I've seen of other, other people, I'm like, you're making assumptions that you don't know are true, but you're acting like they're a fact. And that like, you will not catch me doing that ever. I'm very like i'm just take a step back what's this guy capable of i think he's got a high ceiling i think he can be a pretty good player and i would say 90 percent of the time that's all it comes down to because like really good players can go to shit situations and then you're calling them a bust but like you take somebody like dude, justin fields when he goes somewhere else next year like i'm assuming that's what's going to happen he'll probably play a little bit better like he'll be in a new situation new players like he'll probably play better than he has been and also he will have been now five, four or five years in the NFL, like takes time to learn, dude. You look at guys like Bo Nix who just finished his fifth year of starting in college football, like five full starting seasons. He took off this year in year five. Last year, people were writing him off, but like something clicked in the second year after he transferred to Oregon that just like he evolved, the offense evolved. They were calling different plays that fit his style. Like they, things just take time. And yeah. that's what I want to get to the bottom of. Of course. And We've talked about this before. We predicted this. 80% of NFL fans have not had their franchise be relevant in the last three months. And for <laughs> another half of those franchises, they haven't been relevant in the last five years. And so every year when the draft comes around, this is the only time where all 32 teams can sell, sell themselves hope. And those teams that have not been relevant in three months or in five years have to do a little extra work to sell themselves a little extra hope. And so when they have their mind made up on a guy, you yep. know, they don't, they don't want to hear bad things. This is not the time of year where they want to hear bad things. They've just went through it. They've just gone through a season of bad things. And so yep. they want the NFL draft to be a time of hope and unlimited upside, but you know, you're going to just tell it how it is. And that's not always how it's going to be. Yeah. And like, it's again, if you're on Twitter and like, you are like holding on to every last hope of what you believe in your franchise based on a tweet, you have different problems that you need to address. Like, you know, what I mean? like at the very core yeah. of all of it, yeah. if that's where you're getting 
everything that you're putting your value of your franchise into is based off of a tweet and you're letting it rile you up because I talked about a quarterback that wasn't Caleb Williams and like you want Caleb to be your guy. Like, guys, mm-hmm. we are real humans with real lives. Let's go do real things. And let's enjoy football for what it is. Like it is it is a sport, it is a game, and we're passionate about it. But let's not let it like identify and like change the course of our days and how we treat people and all these other things. It's just uh, it's getting a little out of hand. And I can tell the guys, people don't know what to do now that their teams are being talked about again because it's been a long month of playoffs that you haven't been in. I get it. Like shit's exciting again. But let's yeah. not just let's not be like that. Don't you kind of feel like fans have gotten a little trigger happy on the outrage too we live in such a oh, it's crazy you know polarizing media environment is you've heard that said a million times but yeah. i think there's just not a lot of time or room for nuanced opinions and conversation and so yeah fans are ready to attack and jump on you if yeah <laughs> if, if they're you know, like if they I'm, don't. I'm here for a real conversation like i'm here to right. like any the thing is is if you if anybody that had a problem with the video actually watched the video they wouldn't have said anything they said we disclaimed it. We talked about it. We said why, like just people are so quick to like ride the wave and then hop off at the first sign of distress that it's like, why don't you like create your own little wave and ride your own little wave in get your own little surfboard and like do your own little thing. So it's just, it's a very, um, it's a dark hole, especially Twitter. I it's crazy because the sentiment from Twitter to YouTube on the same exact thing. Oh my God. Couldn't be more opposite. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's, it's just day. like, it's just, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm learning that that is the landscape of Twitter. I've not used Twitter in this capacity until now. Like I've never been one to just like create things on Twitter and have them be displayed for Twitter. It's been more like just thoughts. Um, I don't really do content on Twitter as much, but now that I am with Sleeper, it's like okay, we got to buckle up because like I know a certain way to say things on TikTok. I know a certain way to address them on YouTube, Instagram. Like every platform is different. There's actually no way to make Twitter happy to people. So. No. Let's just give them the least amount to bitch about. I think that's a good way to go about doing it. So if that yeah. is not a a ringing endorsement enough to why you should go watch that yeah. Jaden Daniels video and have an opinion for yourself, uh, you should go do that. Kurt, you're gonna who's the yeah. next quarterback that we should look forward to you cutting up? We got Caleb Williams, baby. Which oh, man. yeah, it's this here we go. This is this is round two. Step step back into the ring. It's a it's a Twitter highlight or it's a YouTube highlight. I did it. I did it. Sorry, it wasn't all 22, but um, yeah, I'm actually, I'm excited about it because I saw some things in Caleb Williams that I'm like, or Caleb Caleb Williams that I'm like, I think, I think more, I think differently of him, but I still think that he's, I still think that actually Jaden Daniels is a safer pick, which is like the safer pick for the right team. I think that Caleb Williams can be a, he could be a huge hit or he could be a huge miss. Like, I, I think there's just a lot of like range for what can he be in the league. I think he's the, he's the type of guy that I think needs a coaching staff that like is going to invest in him to know, build around him, going to groom him. Like, which is just wild because I look at the bears and like, that should have been what the bears were doing for Justin Fields. And they never did that. Yes. They went out and got DJ Moore, but like DJ Moore is not like, it's not God's gift to football. You know what I mean? Like he's not, <laughs> he is a good receiver, but like play style wise, he's very, he's more of like a Deshaun Jackson than a safety net of like, I don't know, a Devontae Adams, you know, like yeah. they're two completely different styles of receiver. He's a home run threat, but like the consistency is not always there. And I think a young quarterback needs 
a guy with a big frame that's consistent and he's comfortable with. Look at Nico Collins. Look at what CJ Stroud and Nico Collins did. Like when Tank Dell went down, CJ still had Nico Collins. And Nico Collins, in my opinion, is more valuable to CJ Stroud than Tank Dell is, even though Tank Dell elevates that offense to a different level. It's just like understanding football, understanding like quarterback psychology. Like, I'm sorry, on third and 12, and I got to have it, I want Nico Collins. He's a big body receiver that can make catches outside of his frame. And he also like is crafty as a route runner. I don't really care if he can run a 4-3 and beat somebody on a post on third and 12. And you're more often than not in the NFL on those types of situations where you need to move the chains than you are needing to take advantage of a home run hit. I bet you'll find that. I bet I guarantee you they're going to get another threat. They're going to get another weapon to complement DJ Moore so he doesn't have to be all world every single game for them to win games. Um, and it will be unfortunate to watch that happen for a different quarterback than Justin Fields because Justin Fields didn't get that. It just is what it is. All right. One last thing. I know you've looked at a lot of these quarterbacks so far. Yeah. Can you give me your top five with the highest ceiling? Ooh, here we go. Okay. Let me think about this before I give another top 10 and forget about somebody like I did on the podcast last week. I forgot oh, about no. Justin Herbert. Shout dude. out caps off. That was uh... Uh, caps off. <laughs> I'm like, Justin Herbert hasn't played football in so long. I forgot about him. Um, okay. Let me think about it this way. Number one, I'm going to say is Jaden Daniels. Um, number two is going to be Caleb Williams. So those are my top two. And we're talking about ceiling here. So I think Drake may has a really high ceiling, but I also, I'm a little bit worried about Drake may. Um, I would not put him as my number three quarterback in this draft class, even though like, I do think that he has a higher ceiling than some of these other guys. But if you're drafting a quarterback at number three, you probably don't need just a high ceiling guy. You need a guy that can like, that's like ready to go. Um, and some of the things that I watched when I was watching Drake may made me think twice about his ability to come in and play right away. So I'm going to preface that. Um, I'm going to go, but I'm going to put him as my number three top ceiling guy. So I'm going to go Jaden Daniels, Caleb Williams, Drake may, even though Drake may is not my number three on this draft class. Um, cause teams need to win right now. Teams don't have time to lose games. They'll all get fired. And then my number four, I'm going to say is. I'm going to say Bo Nix is number four because even though he doesn't have the highest, like like the biggest ceiling frame-wise, I think the, the types of throws that I've seen him make, he checks all the boxes on being able to make all the types of throws right now at this point in his career. He also has the most experience, which like I know this doesn't necessarily translate to ceiling, but at the quarterback position, it does because he's gonna, he doesn't need as big of a learning curve as some of these other guys, and he's not going to get the same amount of like time that some of these other first-round picks get. So... If you're not a top five pick in the league, you're not going to get time to develop. It just is what it is at quarterback. Like, if you're not a first round pick, you're definitely not going to get time. But you see so many guys drafted outside the top 10 that they move on from in year or two. Um, so I'm going to put Bonex at four. And then I'm going to put, oh man, I'm going to put JJ McCarthy at five. And JJ McCarthy is such a weird read for me because, like, I, he makes like he he makes really good plays with his feet and he's a good scrambling quarterback like scramble to throw guy um but there's just there's some like accuracy and ball placement things that I like can't really get past right now but I also know they can be cleaned up in the NFL so that's kind of where I have it right now and I'm still diving in still trying to figure out if if I even believe what I'm saying right like but as of right now those are my five guys that I'm like okay I think if a team drafts them 
they have a reason to draft them right now, like a little, like at a decently high spot. So that's the way I look at it. All right. Some guys that you're leaving off, not on purpose, but just by the nature yeah. of this list. Only get Michael five. Penix, or you only get yep. five. Michael Penix, Spencer Rattler would be two that I would yep. rip off the bat. Seems like Spencer Rattler yeah. is kind of moving up these boards quicker. I yeah, I like, I like, happen. I like him. I like Spencer Rattler. I like how he's been playing recently. I like his like taking him out of the situations that he's been in, or even like some of the personality stuff that's come up. I like watching him throw football and I like how he moves his body and makes plays. So um, putting him in a vacuum of all the other stuff, I actually think Spencer Rattler could be a steal for a team. Hmm. Is there a guy, maybe Spencer Rattler's this guy, but a guy that you're excited to to break down his film a little bit more or watch his highlights a little bit just to see him because you haven't seen him a lot. I mean, it seems like a couple guys even further down. So it's like Joe Milton's another guy that has always popped off the screen for me from Tennessee and, just I haven't seen yeah. a lot of Joe Milton tape this year because I didn't watch a lot of yeah. Tennessee games. Yeah, I mean, if you're just talking ceilings, I guess I could have put Joe Milton as one of the top guys with ceilings. Um, I look at the rankings that I just gave you as more as like ceilings plus. So like have to have some sort of like floor involved in all of that. Um, Joe Milton, I feel like is a guy that, holy shit, if he could spend two to three years under like a really good vet quarterback, like a, a guy that's willing to let him learn, he could take some tools and be a guy. Um, he's super inconsistent as a thrower, but his, his ceiling is probably second highest, third highest, fourth highest in the draft. If we're just talking ceilings, but, um, I definitely had ceilings with an asterisk when I was thinking about that. I also think that, um, I'm really excited to watch Penix because I watch him and I'm like intrigued, but I'm also like, and I, I almost need to watch his film freaking flip in reverse to watch him as a right-handed quarterback. No lie. (laughs) to like get, take out all bias of watching a lefty throw. So sure. actually probably going to do that. That's, that's probably, that'll be what breaks the internet next. I watched Michael Penix highlights on YouTube, but flipped. Let's dive in. <laughs> I love losers. that. I mean, <laughs> I, I think you did a good job explaining away your frustrations with people on Twitter. And you know what they say? All press is good press. And I, and that's I think the best part is like, you're standing on what you did. It's not like you made, a mistake like maybe i don't know the packaging could have been a bit more evident but you also don't yeah. want to feel like you have to spoon feed people what you're doing like yeah they can it's clear a lot of people just didn't watch the video and so if they just watched the video the problem wouldn't have existed in the first place so it's not like something exactly. that you have to go back and you're like oh shit i left justin herbert off this t- top 10 list which in and of itself is yeah. a very innocent mistake but it's not that serious and i yeah. think you did a good job reminding thank you that. thank you <laughs> Okay. Still well, ready for war. <laughs> we're still we're still ready for. I mean, hey, that's just who I am. People like the first one. People like the first one. So I can only imagine what you're gonna you're gonna make ways with Caleb Williams. He seems like it seems like more people are talking about him. It's so funny how it works. You have these QBs that when you're when you're Caleb Williams, you can't go any higher because he's been yeah. the presumptive number one pick since he's been a freshman, right? And so yeah. he he can only fall. Whereas if you're Michael Penix, Bo Nix, I think Jane Daniels probably falls in this category. Yeah, the longer he goes without playing football, and this isn't to say none of those guys are good because they're all very good, but the longer they go without playing football, the better they seem to get in people's eyes. And so it's so interesting. While Caleb Williams seems to be falling, all these guys seem to be rising up the draft board, and we have had no new information in the last three months yet. They, uh, I mean, I'm I'm just starting to watch these guys for the first. Like I I watched them play football in the context of games and like Mm -hmm. what was going on, but I'm like I'm now I'm specifically watching these guys to see what they're like as quarterbacks and to see how to judge them, like all that. So I'm excited. Yeah. I think like this time of the year, look, we're, we're transitioning out of NFL. We're going into college. 
We're going to be breaking down quarterbacks as long as we can. And we're also going to sprinkle in some new guests. We have a segment coming up, not on this show, but on a separate content piece with Malik Washington, a sleeper, an undra- like not an undrafted. Uh, he's got like a third, fourth round grade on him. Who knows? Mm-hmm. If he runs a faster 40, he might get second round grade. But like he's a sleeper in this draft, and he's starting to rise up the draft boards from his uh, Shrine Bowl, I believe it was, performance. But I'm like, I'm excited to see what those guys try to find some of those sleepers. Dive in and see if we can nail this quarterback class. Like, I, I really feel like I'm starting to know them inside and out from how much. I mean, I've been every free chance that I get, I'm watching these guys. I'm trying to bring up other plays from other guys that are in the league and like see their comps. And um, I'm trying to nail it before I like speak on it. So if I do speak on something on Twitter, I have done hours of research and analysis behind it, um, not just YouTube highlights. I will say that. Um, but it's, it's just, I will never get it perfect. And I'm going to try my damnest to get it perfect, but I do feel like I'm heading in the right direction with understanding what this draft class is and who they're capable of being. Um, but we still got a ways to go. It's week, week one after Super Bowl. So I like that. Yeah. That's, that's like what people can look forward season. to. Yeah. I like referring to the off season as week one. We're in week, yeah, week one, one of the baby. off season. We got so much time to get better. So much time, dude. So much time. Great. Is that, I think is that's, that's everything, huh? That's, That's everything. We, Love that. Uh, we got some great guests coming up, and I'm really looking forward to some of these guests yeah. that we have in the pipeline. Maybe next and we week. We got Tom Grassi. Tom Grassi okay, in the pipeline, gonna, I baby. Know, I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to say it. But. I'll say it. Tom, we got you coming on the show. We got NFL's fan of the year, Tom Grassi, coming on the show, recovering mm. from COVID currently. Um, he he beat me in a game of Madden, uh, scored a touchdown, and ran away, and then the game we just didn't play. And I right. think his cost of doing business was COVID, so... Um, we're just going to, we're going to leave it at that, but get well soon, Tom. And we'll see you next week for all those listening. We thank you guys for being true supporters. We're glad that you're enjoying the content. We are always open to any recommendations, any guests, any, anything content pieces. We're trying to make this as good of an experience for you guys as possible, but until next time, we'll see you go get groomed. 